giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Deborah Levine, director of LGBT YouthLink at Centerlink, which supports, strengthens, and connects LGBT centers. Deborah, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Chad. I appreciate you inviting me. So I was first introduced to you and to Centerlink through the Q Chat Space product, and that's still going, right? But yeah. you're working on something new called IME. Mm-hmm. We actually just reached launched IME on June 1st. Congratulations on the launch. Thank you. Yes, went pretty smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. So what is IME? So IME is a free digital research-backed mental health tool. It was developed by Hope Lab in partnership with Centrelink and the It Gets Better project, as well as hundreds of LGBTQ plus young people across the U.S. It's a little hard to describe, to be perfectly honest. Um, it really is intended to support and help LGBTQ plus teens explore and affirm their identity and learn practical ways to cope with their sexual and gender minority stress. And we really hope that the tool is helpful, relevant, inclusive, and joyful. It is a web app, but it operates, it's not a lot of reading. It's listening and doing and thinking uh, and really giving youth an opportunity to explore and consider ways that they might help support themselves. That's great. And it, it's, I suppose it's even a complement to your prior work at, at Centerlink and, and with QChatSpace, which is an online support community. Yes. People can use both. Exactly. Um, we actually engaged in the partnership with Hope Lab because we recognized that though youth were really excited about and engaged in the support groups that QChatSpace provides, um, those are synchronous and they happen once or twice a day. They last for an hour and a half, but that's all there is. So if you come to the website when a chat isn't happening, then there's not much to do. And we wanted to be able to provide youth with something else. And IME really fills that gap. So when it comes to the product itself, how long was it in development for? Great question. Of course, it was the pandemic. So there were some delays related to that, but it was about two and a half years um, from when Hope Lab first approached Centerlink um, until the actual launch date. So that's a fairly significant amount of time. It is for um, when you're working. I think if we were only tech firms, but both Hope Lab and Centerlink are nonprofits. And the process included a lot of steps. So we actually had a prototype pretty early, uh, but because we wanted to make sure that we didn't put something out into the world that actually had a, the impact we were seeking, uh, we did a randomized control trial. Um, we had 270 youth, half of them using similar looking website with just resources and the other half using IME. And we did that randomized control trial as well as a test of marketing. Those were both pieces that extended our our timeline. Um, And then ultimately, we also wanted to launch during Pride Month. So we timed it for that. (laughs) Yeah. This idea of a randomized control trial is pretty incredible to me. A lot of product people wouldn't necessarily do that. Maybe certain companies do. Why do you think you went in that direction? So our goal is not to make money. And ultimately, if that was the goal, then we put something out, we see if people are using it and using it at the rate and the ways. I'm a social worker, so my business lingo is going to be limited, but that's the way to test it. 
And here, if youth use it but don't have any impact or potentially even harms them, which is not the case, usually it's just neutral. But if it doesn't have any impact, it's not worth our time. And so a randomized control trial really allows us to see whether or not it's working and, and then to, to make changes if it's not. And, you know, we are testing not only whether it works in terms of the impact, but also whether or not youth were interested in wanting to use it. Uh, and those are important elements for us before we're going to go out with something. That's great. Um, that's what I was <laughs> thinking you would probably say. In your work, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, your main demographic that you work with is youth. Yes. You alluded to this earlier, but how do you, how do you make sure that you're building products and things that are that they want to use? For sure. So it's really about involving them in the process. Going back in time to QChat Space, the idea for QChat Space actually came from focus groups we did with youth. It wasn't an adult who thought this is a good thing for to do to do for youth. We really went to them to see what it was about and then kept youth involved in the process. We had youth involved in the design process. We had youth involved in the conceptualization and design and continue to this day to have a youth advisory board who participate in QChat Space Chats and give us feedback. And when we want to change something, we look to them. And similarly with IME, um, but with even more resources, we over time, including the randomized control trial, involved over 600 youth in the production and creation of IME. And really the process was so deeply embedded with the youth that we use the language of co-creation and Mm -hmm. really make sure that youth are saying exactly what it is that they want and need and that they'll be willing to do. So we did qualitative research in 2019 um, with over 350 youth initially all across the United States, all the way to Anchorage, Alaska, and to Birmingham, Alabama, and a bunch of places in between. And of those interviewed, 61% identify as racial and ethnic minorities. We really did want to make sure that this reached those youth as well as trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming youth. So we always oversampled or over-included those youth. Um, and in, we also engaged with organizations that serve youth and know youth in a daily way, um, a lot of LGBT centers and other organizations as well, um, and really, again, focused on organizations that are led by and are focused on cutie BIPOC or queer and trans youth of color. Mm-hmm. Over the time that you've been doing this work, has expectations around online interaction, what products are, how people will use them, how youth will use them, has that changed? Has it been evolving? Certainly has been evolving. I mean, I think it's an interesting question. I'm not sure the time frame that you're asking me. In terms of the work that I've done, I started doing digital health education in 2007. Yeah. And I remember very well because my who the person who interviewed me and became my boss said, you don't have to even know anything about technology. Don't worry, we'll figure that out. <laughs> they didn't expect. And I, to be honest, I say to people all the time that if somebody came to me now with the resume that I had in 2007 and wanted the job that I did then, I would not have hired them. Um, things have changed yeah. dramatically. There's, I mean, that's obviously 15 years we're talking about. Um, things have changed so very dramatically in the last 15 years. But even I would say, um, I'll think about QChat Space because QChat Space launched as a pilot in 2018 and then launched nationally in the summer of 2019. And then the pandemic hit seven, eight months later. And the concept of a digital support group we had to explain that to people with QChat space. And now, post-pandemic, we don't have to explain that anymore. And if anything, we have to differentiate ourselves 
in the ways that we never had to. The irony of QChat space in particular is that it was started both because youth identified the need, but also our member centers, the LGBT centers, often had inquiries from youth who couldn't access them in person. And many of them started satellite programs, but still, you know, a 13-year-old, you could live next door and not be able to get. You know, there's other barriers besides location and distance. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, no center, you know, they wanted to do something digitally, but they couldn't because, you know, they didn't have the resources, they didn't know how to do it, or they were concerned that it would start and then youth from all over the place would be contacting them. But in a matter of weeks, maybe months, um, once the pandemic set in and the kids were going to, just like schools figured out how to do things, the LGBT centers did as well. And so now QChat Space is one of many virtual programs, many different mechanisms. And I think it's it's really shifted and youth are more open to it. Um, not that they weren't before, because they definitely were, but they know more. There's less questions about like, what's this? What is all, you know, what's going on here? They have a, I think there's a broader definition of what a virtual experience can look like because youth have been participating in synchronous and asynchronous and in text only and video. And it's just, there's so many ways. In terms of IME in the last couple of years, all over the pandemic, but IME itself, I think actually the, the, the landscape for IME hasn't changed. Um, but interestingly enough, Hope Lab actually came to us with another product that they had already developed and they were hoping to use as a back end, which was a chat bot. Um, they had created something called VivaBot, and it was helping young cancer survivors um, build resilience. And we know that resilience is an important quality for any person, but particularly youth, and it's important to develop it in, um, when someone's young. It's easier. Not that it's easy, but... <laughs> yeah. And they thought that they would be able to use that technology. But ultimately, the testing with young people really revealed that they didn't want a chatbot. If you check out IME, which is imi.guide, imi.guide, you can see that there are actually several chat experiences within that are that are the last remnants of that initial chatbot that we started with. Um, but youth weren't interested in a chatbot. And I think that's one thing that's changed is that they have much higher expectations for automated communication. I formerly worked at Planned Parenthood. They have a great product called Rue that's a chatbot. Um, we talked about it before I left there. I wasn't there when it was started. But there's high expectations for what a chatbot can do. And I think there's also shifts in understanding, oh, this is a bot and that's okay, versus a few years ago, maybe people wanted to pretend that it was a real person. And now it's like, no, it's fine that it's a bot. They understand and it's okay that this kind of conversation can happen with a chatbot. So there's a, a few things I think that have changed, but I'm also not a trend person. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's great. So when it comes to, you, we talked a little bit about the timeline and the process you went through to arrive at and launch IME with multiple parties, um, all bringing things to the table. How do you tend to manage the products that you work on? Sure. So Hope Lab really, I, I give almost all credit to Hope Lab. I mean, I, I was really pleased to partner with them and I definitely feel that Centrelink and It Gets Better bring a lot to the table. But ultimately, Hope Lab did something I haven't seen happen very often, which has really helped nonprofits work together in a collaborative manner. It's a struggle. I think nonprofits are competing for funds and um, donors, and it's a little bit more difficult to collaborate. But Hope Lab really led a pro this process and took us all through it um, and made sure to really put youth at the center, which I think is the force that we all have to remember when we do 
have conflicts between nonprofits is that we're all, you know, we have the same mission, missions that match each other in terms of helping the community. I wanted to tell you all about something I've been working on quietly for the past year or so, and that's Agency U. Agency U is a membership-based program where I work one-on-one with a small group of agency founders and leaders toward their business goals. We do one-on-one coaching sessions and also monthly group meetings. We start with goal setting, advice, and problem solving based on my experiences over the last 18 years of running ThoughtBot. As we progress as a group, we all get to know each other more, and many of the agency you members are now working on client projects together and even referring work to each other. Whether you're struggling to grow an agency, taking it to the next level and having growing pains, or a solo founder who just needs someone to talk to, in my 18 years of leading and growing ThoughtBot, I've seen and learned from a lot of different situations, and I'd be happy to work with you. Learn more and sign up today at thoughtbot.com slash agency U. That's A-G-E-N-C-Y, the letter U. Do you have people, when it comes to a project like this, are you hiring people? Is it a full-time team working on it? How does it tend to usually shape up? No, <laughs> um, it doesn't shape up like that. At this point with IME, Hope Lab really focused on what, what our current capacity was. They're continuing to support us in a lot of ways, and they do have a full team. But the product that they're handing over to me, me as a non-techie social worker, I can manage it. It's on Squarespace. There are a lot of integrations, but they have made sure that those are things that I can really manage. I mean, I'm not a non-techie, really. I'm underestimating myself, underselling myself. But ultimately, I am going to manage that with, I have a staff person who works full-time on QChatsy, not a technical person. They're really there to support facilitators and the youth um, as an administrator and a manager. And that person will help me with promotion. But otherwise, in that IME is a tool that is out there and doesn't, I mean, we'll update it and make changes, but ultimately it's, it's not a team once it's launched. But the development, yes, it was about 14 people more or less uh, throughout the last two years. Yeah. I think that that's great and really important. You know, software isn't cheap. It's not easy. And if you're put in a position where you're putting a, I don't know the right word, um, burden comes to mind, like mm-hmm. the burden of future work and maintenance and investment in an organization that maybe isn't set up to do that, that could be a problem. Right. Now talk to me in six months or a year and I'll know more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that said, even with QChat space, you know, I, with hundreds of people, including folks at ThoughtBot and other places, volunteers and donors and supporters, um, really made QChat space a reality. But I was the lead on it. And I, again, I, I used, you know, I have off the shelf products basically. And I have a developer for the website. But besides that developer who is, is a part-time person, we manage. We figure things out ourselves. We get help from volunteers. We bring in a consultant here and there. Um, but we try to keep the technology slim, trim, easy, user-friendly, whatever language we want to use, so that it really just serves the purpose of the use. We're not, we don't need to be using anything fancy, per se. Right. Now, I, I could be misremembering, but I think when, when we were First, talking one of the first conversations we had, this this came up with QChat Space mm-hmm. because if you look at what it does and and the problem set and particularly the market, there's a I think there could be a tendency for someone looking at especially I'm a programmer and so I want to solve problems by programming mm-hmm. things. You could say we should really build something 
specific <laughs> for this. It's not that difficult. It's just a chat thing. You know, there's lots of these things out there. And I'm right, like in terms of the actual core functionality, you could bang that out in a little while. But doing that would create a burden then to have a, you have a custom piece of software that you need to constantly evolve, maintain, and those kinds of things. And so I, I think this was a discussion we had about what was out there in the ecosystem, what open source or other things you could pull together so that we weren't creating that burden. Exactly. And interestingly, my developer has said to me many times, I could just build something for you. <laughs> and I say, no, like I don't need that. Um, and ultimately, we did end up going with an open source product. It's Rocket Chat. We picked Rocket Chat. This was in 2017, I think, when we were, we looked at 30 different products. And there were that many products on the market already. And today, I think there'd be even more. Uh, but ultimately, we, we did pick Rocket Chat because it was highly customizable. So it's intended, it's, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Rocket Chat, it's like Discord. It's actually the same code, from what I understand. It's sort of like Slack. But in the end, we were able to, because there's a lot of like, turn this on, turn this off, turn this on, turn this off, just a lot of different features. We were able to make it into what we needed. We're using it in a way that very few people are using Rocket Chat um, because we open up a channel just for that hour and a half and then it's gone. Um, it's not an ongoing conversation. But Rocket Chat has been a great supporter. Um, they give us a fabulous nonprofit rate and really appreciate the unusual use case that we have for their product. Yeah, that's great. I think one of the things that hopefully motivates a lot of people is having a positive impact mm. on the world. This is Pride Month. Uh, you alluded to it already. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that we celebrate Pride. I think you have a great organization that I think I hope people will get involved in and pay attention to even outside of Pride Month. How has it been for you? And, and sometimes it's hard for me to judge are things better or worse in terms of really supporting LGBTQ plus youth today? Uh, both. <laughs> yeah. It's better, it's worse. You know, there's no question, I mean, to like how far are we going to go back, but there's so much more re media representation and, you know, there's more schools have GSAs and more people know someone who's LGBTQ um, and I think it's different for lesbian, gay, and bisexual folks than it is for trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming folks. Mm -hmm. There's more acceptance of sexual orientation differences than there are gender differences. But um, I think culturally that's changing. And as a result, there is currently quite a large, the words coming to me is flashback, but that's not the right word. Yeah. Backlash, pushback, exactly. And we are seeing alarming numbers of legislative efforts to particularly limit what transgender and gender non-conforming and non-binary youth can do and what their parents can do. And that is very alarming and, and certainly highly regressive. But I do think that it comes out of the fact that we have moved forward in so many ways. Mm -hmm. So for any young person who's listening um, or any of you who are listening who can say this to the young people in your lives, like, you deserve to be yourself. You deserve to be able to be yourself and open. And you deserve a good and strong and healthy and mentally healthy life. And that message is really what Imi certainly gives, um, a joyful life. Um, it is about pride. We are proud to be LGBTQ. There's nothing to be ashamed of. And yet 
there are many forces in our culture and government who do make young people and adults feel shameful about it. So that's really what we're trying to counter. And that's one of the great things I think about when it comes to online tools is because you could be in an environment where you're not supported, where you don't see that support or people like you, or it could be very isolating and the ability to reach beyond your you know, family boundaries and geographic boundaries and connect with people who can support you is really great. It is. And to know, you know, ultimately the tools are really designed to acknowledge that some young people have to keep it, you know, a secret or private. They're not ready mm-hmm. to come out. Both websites have a quick exit. So a young person can click on that and go right to Google. IME also times out after 10 minutes. And, you know, it's an interesting thing because the folks who are regressive, um, going back to our last bit, those mm-hmm. folks, they jump on that and say, look, they're keeping it a secret from their parents. And we're like, well, if the parents are going to be abusive, then yes, we're going to keep it a secret from the parents. But if the parents want to figure out how to be affirming, we are with them. We want to help them be affirming. So it really does allow youth, both tools really reach youth who may feel as if they have no one around them. And I mean, in particular, um, provides community in a way youth don't even have to talk to anybody else, but they're going to hear the voices mm-hmm. and see the faces of other young people dealing with similar things. Um, I mean, is, is rich with those stories, um, as well as other activities. Um, and then on QChef space, they can connect to a real other teenager, um, who's dealing with similar things, but maybe in a different state or a different country. Even. I guess that's another, you know, I think the conversation I was having was very U.S. centric mm-hmm. too. I, and you think things are bad here. They're even worse in a lot of other places in terms of LGBTQ rights and support. Um, and I guess that's another benefit of online. It really crosses those boundaries too. It does. And we have enabled that on QChat space and IME both are accessible from anywhere in the world. Um, we have heard from youth in 149 other countries, uh, believe it or not. Um, on QChat space, and we just launched uh, IME, so we don't have that data yet, but it is available. Unfortunately, right now, um, IME is only in English. QChat space, we do have a weekly chat in Spanish, so we welcome any youth who prefer to chat in Spanish on Monday nights, but IME from now is just in English. But other than that, I mean, the reality of colonization is that a lot of youth speak English even if it was not their first language. So um, we, we have had chatters from Korea, Vietnam, Australia, UK, um, and everywhere in between. That's great. If folks want to get involved, um, where are the best places for them to do that? Sure. So anybody who feels like they can help in any way, whether it's tech help or with financial support, they can connect with us through the websites. um, And we will happily figure out ways to get engaged. In terms of like your more traditional volunteer situation, I recommend folks go to the LGBT Center directory that we have on Centralink's website. Centralink's website is lgbtcenters.org. Um, and find your local LGBT center. Um, they have many opportunities for volunteers um, as well as support and tech help. If you check out their website and you think it doesn't look so great, <laughs> offer help with your website. <laughs> so there's a lot of ways to get involved in the LGBT community um, between these two products as well as just the LGBT centers that the two products are really meant to serve. I didn't really mention that, but you know, our, we have 300 plus LGBT centers that are part of the Centralink um, network um, that we work to support, strengthen, and, and connect. Um, and IME really is a product that none of them would be able to develop on their own. Um, and this way, they're all able to use it as if it was their own. That's one of the beauties. And of course, the, the greatest impact is for youth. 
um, but for our centers to be able to have that kind of resource available to them. And we, we owe huge thanks to Hope Lab for doing that for CenterLink and all of our members. Um, we're going to include links in the show notes for all of the things that you just mentioned. Awesome. I really encourage people to, if you want to reach out with your time and get involved, that's great. Uh, you can also, as Deborah said, go there and donate. If you can't donate your time, but you can donate some money, that'd be great. Deborah, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing with us. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all the work you do. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. You can subscribe to the show and find notes along with a complete transcript for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.